episode of the Media and Religion podcast. This show is a production of the Center for Media, Religion, and Culture at the University of Colorado Boulder. And I'm Ashley Campbell, a graduate research fellow for the Center and your host for this first episode. All of us at CMRC are really excited to start this podcast, and we wanted to introduce the Center and our reasons for this show before launching into all the exciting conversations we'll be having around religion and media. And joining me to launch the Media and Religion podcast are Nabila Chaibi and Nathan Schneider. Nabila is the Associate Director of the Center for Media, Religion, and Culture, as well as the Chair of the Media Studies Department in the College for Media Communication and Information at CU Boulder. He's currently working on the politics of visibility and transparency of Muslims in public. Nathan is a resident fellow of the center and an assistant professor of media studies. He writes about economy, technology, and religion, and his articles have appeared in numerous publications. Nathan is currently completing a book on cooperative business models, including their religious past and their potential for the future of the internet. So, Nabil, as the assistant director, can you kind of actually explain what the Center for Media, Religion, and Culture actually is? Sure. Um, well, it's, uh, I think, a, a research center uh, first uh, in terms of the work that we do uh, between faculty and graduate students at the intersection of media, religion, and culture. So our primary function is to conduct uh, hopefully cutting-edge research um, in these areas, uh, but also, uh, and, and importantly so, to engage in some public outreach uh, about our research, but also to engage with other partners uh, in public um, about how we do research uh, around religion and media. So when you say public outreach, what does that actually entail? What do you mean by that? Yeah, so engaging the public as much as possible work that we do, either by sharing it with them, but also by seeking out opportunities where we can engage them in the research directly, where we are doing research with them, as opposed to on them, uh, or just sharing our findings with them, right? And this is, uh, um, and I think, the, the direction of the center now that has become a lot more serious, um, a lot more pronounced in the last uh, couple of years, where we do not want just to uh, invite the public to come in and then listen in to what we have to tell them, but we want to also uh, involve the public in, uh, in, in research, uh, involve them in reflections on the importance of religion, um, its presence in popular culture, in public discourse. Um, so it's, a, a, but public outreach, I mean a real partnership as opposed to, um, you know, a, a partnership where the faculty have all the answers and the public is there only to listen. I mean, I think, Nathan, you do some of this work, um, especially with regards to co-ops. Can you kind of elaborate how the idea of public research and public outreach feeds into what you've been working on? Yeah, so I've been for the last few years working uh, uh, very much in the cooperative economy and people who are trying to build businesses that are accountable to their participants, to their workers, to their customers, and so forth. And and a really big part of this is the religious side of the story, the way in which religious communities in the past have been kind of the leading entrepreneurs in this sector in ways that are often not appreciated both by uh, the 
a mainstream conversation about this kind of thing and uh, by the participants in those religious communities themselves. And uh, my method in, in that research is often one of connection. So as I'm learning from the people uh, around me, I am reconnecting them to each other, uh, helping them see one another, uh, helping them recognize that they're not alone in doing or thinking uh, uh, what they're uh, what they're doing and thinking, and, and that's uh, uh, I think a really uh, rich and holistic kind of uh, research. Something that's very satisfying to me uh, as a as a uh, student of this work to not only be learning for my own sake or for the sake of something all right, but to be able to offer something back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would I would actually add to that uh, that the center aspires to become the convener of these kinds of efforts, right? In the sense that. Um, in, instead of thinking that we are laboring alone in the kinds of questions that we are asking, that we could locate and identify people and communities and organizations, um, as well as other scholars uh, who are doing similar work. Uh, maybe they are asking similar questions, but mm -hmm. they're getting to the answers differently, or they're using methodologies that are different. But ultimately, we're asking the same questions. So the center becomes that platform that allows for these efforts really to coalesce and, and hopefully to build something more uh, sustainable, but also to be, to be more inclusive of uh, other efforts. This is a, a, a larger, uh, really, philosophy around public scholarship in general, which is not really about um, you know uh, scholars or academics having all the tools and the facility of knowledge, um, and that everybody else doesn't. It's just to be able to humble yourself and ask, can I actually go and find someone who's doing similar work, and how can my work add to their work, and vice versa? And it's a learning curve for uh, academics for the most part, but it's one that is warranted today by the climate in which we, we live, which is uh, a climate where um, you know, of anti-intellectualism, uh, a climate of suspicion around the institution of the university itself mm -hmm. and while there is a kernel of truth uh, to each of these allegations and accusations there is also a gross I think exaggeration as to the fact that we are completely removed from you know from the, the, the things that we study or we, we're removed from the publics so this is a way to show that um, we are committed uh, to this public mission uh, but it doesn't mean that it comes naturally it's, it, it requires work it requires efforts and that's why it's important to have spaces like this, like the center, mm -hmm. like this podcast, like a, a variety of other tools to be able to harness uh, that power uh, to be more public facing in our work. Yeah. And to be skeptical about that process, right? You know, and the demand that that process often comes with. Right? And, and this, this engagement with the public comes with a recognition that there is a demand placed on the academy now that one must always be relevant, the kind mm -hmm. of opposite of the of the ivory tower, the demand that you must always serve the, the uh, some neoliberal project of the moment. And, um, and, and the conversations that we've been having with our colleagues and with our students uh, have emphasized, uh, have helped us recognize the need not to just um, merely bow to that demand for exposure and relevance in, when we talk about the public, but to interrogate the, the whole uh, uh, reason for doing so and, and uh, uh, methods by which we are going to be able to offer something distinct and of use. Well, let's talk about, um, with regards to kind of this questioning, this skepticism, 
of doing public outreach and public scholarship. Uh, let's talk about this podcast for a bit then, because on the one hand, by doing this podcast, we're, we're putting ourselves in the position of trying to stay relevant um, with the, you know, the blossoming of the podcast medium, with academics discovering the podcast medium and wanting to use it, myself included, but at the same time, it being a more accessible way to kind of talk about these ideas and these issues. So, um, and, you know, we've talked about this as a center, but I'd love to get kind of your guys' ideas of um, what your hopes are for this podcast and how you see it walking this line of being relevant, but also serving a purpose that's actually beneficial for a broader audience. I, I will have to <laughs> see it. So I, I just, there was something that struck me when I arrived here a couple of years ago, uh, and that was the fact that in addition to boatloads of work and stuff like that, um, there was this meeting that all of the graduate students in our uh, uh, in our college and, and some from outside around the university uh, were coming to every week doing extra readings um, and actively participating in uh, without the kind of credit of a class, right? You know, I was like, what is going on here? There's something very bizarre at work here. Uh, there's a, um, just a, a uh, a legacy that this center uh, is is building on a momentum that has been growing for many years, and then also just a dynamism and energy among the students and fellows who are participating in it that I think uh, is is uh, uh, is worth sharing a little further beyond the confines of the of uh, whichever room we happen to be in on a given week. It always changes, and uh, to me that that makes the podcast in a sense. A party to that mystery mm -hmm. that I'm still trying to understand why is it that we continue to spend two hours a week together and why is it so satisfying and so meaningful uh, uh, to, to, to many of us and and I hope that uh, listeners will just uh, uh, enter in and share in that in that mystery uh, uh, first of all in addition to uh, the particular value that that any guest or host or, or topic uh, has to offer yeah and I, and I would add to that that we're really um, the only novelty, if there is any novelty at all um, in doing a podcast, is that we're taking something that has been going on in academia for, um, you know, probably centuries, right? Uh, which is to uh, find something that you are passionate about and to create an environment in which you could come together with other scholars, with students. Mm -hmm. What we are uh, doing at the center um, is mostly to uh, take advantage of the passion of our students, uh, their discipline, but also the fact that they are they're convinced that uh, there is something that has not been discussed or that is not addressed uh, in terms of uh, religion, spirituality, and uh, their mediation between mm -hmm. uh, contemporary culture, but also historically. And so uh, what we are adding to this is an extension through this medium, through the podcast medium, which has become so popular, um, for, for a good reason, and to invite other people to say, sharing with us this passion and this conversation. So uh, we really, I'm, I'm not necessarily convinced that the primary reason of what we're doing is about relevance. Um, as much as we are really just trying to expand the conversation that we are convinced other people would like to you know, share with us or would like to listen in. Or are actually having themselves, or, not in an academic context. Precisely. And so it's in that same spirit, as we said earlier, of sort of the center trying to identify and locate 
you know, other, uh, you know, partners and, and other people who are uh, having the same uh, conversations. And then just to, to be that convener of that conversation, that discussion. And I think the podcast allows us to really extend that uh, beyond the confines of our campus, beyond the confines, obviously, uh, the physical limitations of where this seminar takes place. Uh, because we, we are uh, absolutely convinced uh, that people uh, are having those conversations or maybe crave these discussions, uh, but they're not necessarily in a position maybe to have these conversations and have the privilege like we do of having a two-hour seminar where that students attend and or burden oh yeah or, <laughs> or, or, or burden uh, we would like to think about it more as a privilege uh, than a burden but it's just how you know faculty could be so generous and graduate students can be so generous to come in and drop literally everything right even if you tell them come at eight in the morning I think that that shows uh, I think just the, the commitment but also uh, what you can actually do with passion. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and I'd like to foreground those values as opposed to the value of just proving mm -hmm. our relevance uh, to some sort of public that we are waiting to validate what we do. Well, I think when you both speak of kind of the passion and commitment of the graduate research fellows who attend these seminars every week, um, but also write for the Third Spaces blog, um, live tweet the Super Bowl, um, now we're producing this podcast. I think you're right, it does um, highlight this kind of passion and interest and um, recognition that these conversations are important and significant and they're not necessarily happening in our, happening in our other academic spheres. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also really important to note that the episodes following this one that we've planned out already have no faculty members in them. Um, two of them are students responding to current events, such as the Muslim ban. There are students talking about their research regarding video games. And there is one that will have a faculty member, but it's an external one talking about a new publication, her new book. So I think it is showing this interest that there are students out there who really do want to participate in these broader conversations that in the past have actually been reserved for more senior faculty and senior academics or people who are really good at putting their name out there and um, having media come and find them. So I, I appreciate you guys recognizing our passion <laughs> and our interest. Yeah, I think uh, one, of, one of the things that I would um, I'd like to stress here in terms of what we're doing also is I think responding to something uh, that I see personally as foreclosing uh, the role of the of, of, of scholars, um, you know, be it students or um, faculty, um, uh, and their ability to actually comment and um, make statements about what's going on, you know, outside of academia. Right? Mm -hmm. um, one of the strongest and I think uh, most uh, pernicious uh, characteristics of neoliberalism is that it. Does not, it, it encourages you, you know, not to take these issues on, right? And so, to remain on the fringes of public discourse um, at a time when we need everyone to. I mean, we don't need only academics. Mm -hmm. We don't need only pundits. We don't need um, only, you know, journalists and politicians to do this job. We need everyone to weigh in. And I just feel like sometimes um, academics have retreated. Uh, way too much um, into 
really sort of their specializations and into their own spaces. Um, sometimes being afraid uh, to, uh, you know, uh, take positions uh, on what's happening. I think we need to expand the horizons of where we do also our work, which is, I think, one of the classical definitions of public scholarship is that you are uh, contributing to expanding, hopefully, uh, at least the, 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 the horizon of thinking uh, of people, uh, with people, not talking at people, but also with people, which is a, a major, I would say, distinction between say, people who think that the public is just, as I said, there to be, um, you know, uh, to lecture, be, that. lecture that, <laughs> but also to, to benefit from some sort of wisdom uh -huh. that you have. You're the vessel of knowledge. They are the recipient of knowledge. So before we started recording, uh, you both were looking over some of my notes, and you made a comment about something should be plural. And I kind of want you both to, to mention what you were talking about and why you decided to to make something that I wrote in singular, plural. <laughs> you want to take that off? <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about this um, project that has been an ongoing effort at the center, um, uh, public religion and public uh, scholarship, which is uh, funded by the Luce Foundation. And we were discussing whether the latest version of the name of the project involves plurals, either of religions or publics or scholarships or whatever, because we, um, in the course of, uh, of this effort, keep running into the multiplicity and the need for multiplicity uh, uh, in that without, while also balancing it with the uh, um, need to not become absurd uh, and, and uh, uh, start applying, using plurals that nobody uses as plurals. and. Uh, uh, so right now, I think they're all singular on the website, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, public religion and public scholarship. But it, the, that conversation just does uh, uh, refer to the fact that that project is, is this work in progress uh, that we have the opportunity at the center to uh, steward and to uh, allow to evolve uh, in conversation uh, with the participants in the center here at CU and also uh, a really fantastic working group of um, leading scholars in media and religion uh, uh, across the U.S. and, and uh, in some cases internationally. Um, I mean, I could talk about some of the specifics of the project as well in terms of what we are putting out, right? And so apart from sort of, yeah. What, well, why don't you, because I was going to ask if we could give a quick overview of what the public religion, public scholarship project actually is. So why don't you go ahead? Yeah, well, I, I think uh, Nathan uh, gave an overview of um, kind of the, the rationale behind the project. Uh, we went to uh, the Henry Luce Foundation and then we said, look, um, why don't you fund us so that we can actually bring together these two fields and then explore a little bit what's missing in that relationship between these two uh, fields. Because oftentimes we feel like the media scholars are saying things about religion that they know very little about or that they think that, you know, religious studies scholars have not addressed. And then religious studies scholars think that, you know, that uh, there's no such thing as media studies field, right? And they make the darnest, uh, I think, uh, observations or, or statements about, about media. And they, it's, it's almost like this discovery for them. Yeah. And so I think it's a, it's a matter of bringing the two together and really just opening this conversation, which has been happening, I think, for the last couple of decades. Uh, and, and we 
we are very proud that the center is one of those places where this conversation is happening, right? So we wanted to be very deliberate about it in this project and then say, okay, why don't we take this to the next level, right? And then include this notion of publicness uh, in, um, in the way in which we do our work, mm -hmm. right? Can we explore uh, different kinds of horizons, different kinds of frontiers on how we uh, create and we share research, right? Um, so one of the things, for example, that we're uh, working on is a platform uh, that uh, has both a, a kind of an internal dimension to it amongst this working group, uh, the members of this working group, for, for us to share different kind of ideas, reflections, um, and then share our research and then have comments um, you know, of, of each of one another's work. And then, uh, and then it will have a, a more public-facing component to it, which we're still working on, and then it will hopefully showcase uh, here is one way for us to uh, present our work uh, to a general public. Not that the academic uh, public is not going to be interested, but it's just that it tries really to bridge that gap between sort of the academic public and the non-academic public. Yeah. Another thing that we're doing is, uh, which is you know, which is kind of risky, right? It's to tell uh, scholars, um, can we uh, actually do your project in visual form and can we create a, a, a documentary uh, on, on your work yes. and and we're and, and we're not we're telling them look you're not gonna sit there and you know and in your office and and just blabble away about <laughs> your project and and we'll put it together uh, with just minimal editing mm -hmm. uh, this is a, a much more ambitious project where we are actually uh, contracting with a, an organization run by uh, you know PhDs uh, in media and religion who are thinking about ways in turning uh, uh, social research uh, into kind of more kind of a visual presentation yes. and so uh, they're going to do a workshop uh, for us right to think um, to help us think visually about our work uh, what does it mean to turn something so conceptual right um, so uh, you know, abstract in our head into something that is visual and we work with this all the time it's just that we don't necessarily think about presenting it that way but i would say the visual concept is is doing more than i think um teaching academics how to think visually a little bit better it's also providing a different set of language tools to communicate and to have that public facing conversation because especially for academics who have always been in the academy, learning how to write in a non-jargon way that communicates a very abstract, complicated idea in three sentences is not a skill that most have. And so I think maybe also thinking of our research visually allows that translation and that communication conversation to begin where if you do it through typical written language or oral language, there's a wall, there's a barrier, there's an inability to transition. Yeah. And then so much of it is expanding the toolbox. Um, uh, that, that's what I think both of these, those outgrowths of the project are doing. Um, the, you know, the video piece too uh, is, you know, supporting, uh, you know, at people who, who have been involved in this field, actually been involved in the center, um, who are expanding the academic tool set further, right? Um, uh, building a company that's that's uh, uh, designed to enable this kind of um, engagement and maybe help set a precedent so that 
um, the expectation is that in addition to you know a journal article, you know you also uh, you know have a trailer, mm -hmm. right? Uh, a trailer for a journal article. <laughs> Imagine that. You know, it's it's, uh, but it's that kind of thinking that I think we're trying to encourage, and I find it quite liberating. You know, I it, it's uh, been really exciting for me to you know start getting back into uh, you know writing journal articles, thinking about it less as as being a means to some kind of academic advancement or credential, but actually thinking of journal articles as part of a public engagement yes. strategy, you know, and and recognizing what does this, what work does this do, and then what can I add to it so that um, it advances a uh, a matter of public concern rather than um, and recognizing that actually the journal article can do unique work in that effort. That there's there is a place for those established media of scholarly exchange, but there are other media that can help amplify and, and uh, uh, strengthen uh, that particular one. I'm going to put you both on the spot a little bit, given that we were just talking about this. How, what is one way, off the top of your head, that you can imagine the work you're currently doing in a visual way? So I've been working with artists a lot, and um, artists who obviously are um, very creative visualizing some of the questions and some of the uh, abstract thoughts that they have about their work, right? And these are mostly mostly uh, Muslim artists, although some of them would not necessarily call themselves Muslims. They happen to, to come from Muslim-majority countries. And they're, uh, they're articulating the same kind of questions that I have, right? Questions about sort of these uh, terms of visibility and transparency that Muslims are being subjected to. Do you have any examples we could direct listeners to? Yeah, I mean, so the, the work that I've been, uh, the artist that I've been working with mostly is, is called Munir Fatmi, mm -hmm. um, and he's a Moroccan artist who has uh, really just, uh, in, in, a, in a very vivid and um, you know, productive way, has been sort of visualizing these questions, right? Um, and so has done installations around the airport where he, uh, in his installations, um, he actually uh, re uh, recreates the experience, right, of going through the metal detector, um, and um, and then really ask. So people are watching these things, right, and so and then he asks them, right, uh, by going into these uh, you know, these typewriters, right, that are connected with wires, right, and they look like the wires that were used in order to shock the prisoners of Abu Ghraib. Um, and so really working on sort of putting together and connecting uh, a, a much larger narrative about Islam and Muslims, right, uh, around these questions of security, around these questions of uh, the war on terror mm -hmm. um, and what it entailed. And then he's, he's inviting the, sort of the spectators of that to come in and then share their thoughts about what they just saw, right? And so those kinds of depictions allow me, for example, to enter this sort of this visual space Right, analytically, um, and but truly partner with an artist to uh, bring my work, um, you know, a certain kind of, uh, I think, substance and a certain kind of uh, visibility that it might not uh, otherwise have if I just uh, talked about these things mostly in the abstract mm -hmm. or if I just published my work in a journal. So part of what I'm trying to do is to team up with some of these artists and actually do an installation slash. Uh, kind of you know uh, a presentation that would include uh, 
both of us, yes. right? And so, and then invite a, a, a larger public to weigh in on what they've just seen, what they've just heard. Um, that's another way of doing public scholarship. Public scholarship is not just, you know, obviously podcasts and, and, and op-eds and things like that. Mm -hmm. it, could, it could be much more creative than that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, it's the, as with Nabil, it's collaboration. Yeah. You know, I, I've always loved seeing my writing work as having a visual component. You know, my first book, for instance, has little illustrations <laughs> I did that are terrible. You know, I just, I needed those actually as part of the process to think through what I was doing. And, but now I've, I've increasingly realized that I'm a terrible, you know, my, my visual talents are, are modest. And, and so I've really relied on collaborations with others. I mean, just today I found that uh, there's there's uh, uh, an Italian team that's produced a, a, a game based on the work that I and some colleagues have been doing around this platform cooperativism. And, and uh, you know, they released it on GitHub and, you know, and, and, and they, you know, got some support from Mozilla to develop it. And, and I had no idea, that's but so cool. it's like, and I look at it and just thought, oh my gosh, that's, I would never have thought to arrange this whole challenge in that way and um does it have a name uh uh, uh co-ops and dragons okay yeah, <laughs> yeah of course yeah, of course and then you know and and also today i was just looking back at this image that we commissioned for this conference we put on in november the uh 2017 platform cooperativism conference in new york and you know we for the program we made sure to carve out budget to commission an artist to contribute you know? and you know, I was looking back on it, realizing I really learned a lot from that piece because I, for the last few years, I felt like I've been putting together just a business ecosystem. And um, and the image that, that this artist, James Siebold, uh, uh, produced for us was uh, this incredible graphic of like robot iPhones building the pyramids, right? And, and that to me was a beautiful thing because it was like, I, the way I read it was, this is a challenge to you. You're not just building, you know, papers. You're not just building, uh, uh, you know, connecting people in a business ecosystem, blah, blah, blah. You are actually, you have, the, you could be building the kind of next mythology, mm -hmm. right? The next story of, 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 uh, of our civilization. And, and, you know, I learned that from that artist, you know, to, to, to set that ambition. Uh, at, at that register to recognize that we're participating, participating not just in scholarship, not just in storytelling, but in a kind of myth, myth making. Can I just say that that um, I don't want our listeners to think that we are um, we have the the the, the presumption uh, to uh, suggest that we are the only ones doing this kind of work, or that we are the pioneers. Mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of people who are doing this kind of work, and so we want to be a platform. Uh, both as a center and both in, ter in terms of the media that we produce, to um, to encourage others who are doing this kind of work to also share it. Can we do our work, right, and humble ourselves to think that others are doing the same work, and can we bring these people together? Um, and 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 we shouldn't necessarily be concerned about whether um, you know the administration uh, meaning the big administration with a capital A, or the administration within our universities, uh, are necessarily pleased with what we do. Do we believe that this kind of public-facing work that we're doing serves the mission of what a university should be doing? If you are convinced that that's the case, then go ahead and do it. 
It might not be your cup of tea, and that's fine. We're not forcing anybody to do it. But just remember that aiming low, meaning not to do this kind of work, right? And we need to really aim as high as we can if we want the university to still have its place, um, you know, in, in, in the public. Well, thank you guys both for helping me kick off the, the new podcast. Thank you. I can't wait to listen to the shows to come. Thanks for listening to this first episode of the Media and Religion podcast. If you're interested in continuing this conversation, follow us on Twitter at cuboulder underscore cmrc, or you can comment on our Facebook page. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And you can listen to future episodes of the Media and Religion podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever your favorite podcasts are housed. This episode was edited by Ashley Campbell, and our theme music was composed by Art Bamford. <laughs>